Well, I want to welcome you to First Baptist Eichard this morning. Glad that you have come to worship with us. And uh, we have quite a few people this morning uh, that are away on a marriage uh, retreat. And uh, they are uh, up in the mountains and, uh, um, and enjoying that uh, with uh, some couples that have been invited uh, by our church. I would remind you, if you have been, or maybe you haven't been, but you know a couple that uh, might benefit from uh, going on the marriage retreat, uh, by all means, uh, give their name to uh, really almost anybody. Uh, but uh, you give their names to, to uh, someone or give them to me, and I'll make sure they go on and, and put them in the pot to possibly go uh, and have that weekend um, and enjoy uh, that time together uh, up in the mountains. I want to invite you uh, to turn with me uh, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. As we have been inching closer over the last several weeks to uh, this particular text in 1 John, um, it is one of the most important texts from the book. And the reason being is that really John has written this letter and the arguments that he has made, uh, the things that he has exhorted his readers to do, have really been focused on getting to this particular part of chapter 2. In fact, some commentators would say that verse 19 is really the key issue for the letter. He has talked about some things that are very heavy. Um, he has talked about some very important themes and looking at God as, as light and in Him there is no Darkness. that if we follow the darkness, we do not follow Christ. If, if, our, if our goal in life, if our, our focus in life is on the things of this world, on the things of darkness as opposed to the things of Christ, we cannot then turn around and say uh, that we have Christ, that we're in Christ. Well, the reason that this has been such an issue for John and the reason he would even write about this issue is because he was seeing in his own day those who were coming into the church and attempting to teach a false message to those who were listening. They would come in with their theology, they would come in with their teachings that did not line up with what Jesus had taught, and it was becoming a problem. And he does not mix words about the seriousness of the problem. In fact, he will not call these people simply false teachers, but he calls them in the beginning of this section antichrists. Very often if you've been in the church much of your life, you've heard this word and it's often associated, especially in John's other writings in the book of Revelation, with a particular person. A particular person who at the end of time will rise up and lead many people astray. And he references that person here. But then he uses the term antichrist and he uses it in the plural. 
So when we see that, he is not talking about one person that will rise up near the end of time that will lead many people astray and lead people away from God. But he's talking here about anyone, anyone who stands against Christ, anti-Christ, against Christ, and leads people astray and teaches them false doctrine. He believes so strongly that it is important to teach the right thing above all else that he compares and calls the person who teaches false doctrine an antichrist. And so we should take then, with the same measure of seriousness, those who we allow through their teaching, through their books, through their messages on television, through conferences that we go through, through influences that we have, we should be cautious about who we allow to influence our life, who we allow to speak into our life, because there are those who have arisen among us in our day as there were in John's who seek to teach against what God has said. I invite you this morning, if you're able to join me standing as we read the Word of God together, beginning in 1 John chapter 2, we will begin reading in verse 18, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. John writes for us, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as, he, but as His anointed teachings teaches you about everything that is true and is no lie, just as it taught you, abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. You may be seated. 
I believe we see in this passage, as we go through these verses, a progression that takes place. And it's the progression that takes place with false teachers. We see where they began, and then we see where they begin to move to. And so we see four steps in this progression, this progression that takes place as it becomes increasingly clear that someone is a false teacher and then what they do as a false teacher. And I I think we see this pattern repeated over and over again. Apparently it was being repeated in John's day, and I think we still see it today because there are still a great number of false teachers who occupy a place of prominence in our society, and unfortunately in too many churches. Before we look at these steps, I want to make a note to you, and and you may see this in your lag lesson, uh, but it's in your bulletin in in the lag lesson. There is a a link you can go to if you go online, and a, a very helpful video that I found that talks about the seven types of false teachers in the church today. And I think if you look at that video, you will step away from that, being able to really understand the different types of ways that people teach falsely. Some people teach falsely just in their doctrine, but others teach falsely in their practice. Four steps that we see, first in verse 18. False teachers are antichrist. So we see that from the beginning. False teachers are antichrist. Children, it is the last hour, and you've heard that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. He goes on in verse 22 by talking about the one who is the liar is the one who denies Christ. Again, antichrist. We need to understand that there is nothing good about a false teacher. There is nothing good about a false teacher. A false teacher is not simply wrong in one area, and so we overlook that false teaching in other areas. Now understand that I'm not talking about someone that we might disagree with on simple points of theology. So I've had enough discussions with people in this room to know that we don't all agree about everything when it comes to what we believe about God in the Bible. And that is perfectly okay. In fact, if you get to the point in your life where you can only be around people that think exactly like you do, you are taking the first steps to becoming a false teacher. Because it is a wrong idea to think that on every issue, someone has to believe exactly like you do. That's how people begin to form cults. That's why we have such division in the church. There are some issues that aren't super important issues that we don't have to disagree with to the point where we can't fellowship together. Now, obviously, there are other churches around us that they do things in practice that we would say, you know what, we we don't agree with that. We probably couldn't go to church with them. But we don't look at them and say, you know what, they're not Christians. We don't believe they're believers because of that. But there are some very fundamental, large issues. And when those issues, such as, is Jesus the Son of God? Did Jesus 
Was Jesus raised from the dead? Did Jesus die for our sin? Is the only way to get to heaven through Christ? That when people begin to distort those issues, that's when we need to cut off their influence in our life. When we determine that someone is a false teacher, we do not want them to continue having influence in our life. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we think they are a good speaker, if they are very dynamic, if we like their ministry. In fact, if we think their ministry is growing and we want to have a ministry like them because their ministry is so big and growing and all these people are coming to it. Friends, if the new trend in in American culture becomes to run and jump off a cliff and hope that you live, are you going to go do it because a bunch of other people go and jump to their death? Apparently it's a trend among some young people to eat soap. Now when I was a kid, eating soap meant that you had said something you shouldn't. And a bar of it got crammed in your mouth. And I don't have to have my glasses on to see many of you shaking your heads that that happened to you as well. You've got to be a moron to eat soap. Well, friends, if that becomes the new popular trendy thing to do, are you going to go do it? And if you do, well, you're a moron. Not trendy and cool and hip. So why do we think that just because someone's got a big church that they're doing something right? People are attracted to big churches. People are attracted to false doctrine because it makes them feel good about themselves. They get some self-help nonsense and they flock to it and they eat it up and guess what? They die and go to hell. So when you know that someone is teaching something false... Don't set aside that false doctrine because it looks like they're being successful. Friends, there are people who are being very successful in preaching the true gospel of Christ because the true gospel of Christ is still saving people. There's some really large churches in our state where the pastor is preaching Jesus this morning. And you know what? I'm not jealous of that. I rejoice in that. I'm happy for them. I'm glad people are being saved under that ministry. But there are a lot of people gathering in so-called churches this morning under false teachers that are teaching them a way that leads them straight to hell. We need to realize that when someone is teaching a false doctrine, they are against Jesus. And ultimately what they are teaching will begin to lead them to do this. What he says in verse 22, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. That's where false teaching ends up leading to. You end up denying that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Savior... And by denying Jesus as Savior, you deny God. The Muslims would have you believe that we believe in the same God. But how do we know that we don't? They think that they believe in the God of of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. How do we know that it is not the same God? 
It's not about names. It's not about them saying Allah instead of us saying Yahweh. It has nothing to do with that. It is the fact that they deny that Jesus is the Christ. And by denying that Jesus is, is the Christ and that we know that the Father and the Son are one, then they are denying the Father also. They do not worship the same God that we worship because they deny the Son. It has nothing to do with, well, this, their book says this and all. It, it comes down to, you don't need to get any more advanced than that. They deny that Jesus is the Christ, therefore they do not believe in the Father. Any teacher who does not believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Savior, they are teaching a false doctrine. How do we know that Mormonism that the Jehovah's Witness teach a false message. We look at what they teach about Jesus. We look at how they understand our Lord and Savior. And everything else falls apart because of that. Friends, dig down deep. We, we like to look at, at the little thing here, or, or as I posted on social media this week, we, we pull a quote from, from a teacher that sounds really inspirational, and we, we pull it out, and we look at it, and we say, oh, this looks nice, and it would look nice on a poster, and I'm going to post it on my wall. Friends, if they teach falsely about Jesus, everything else that they teach is tainted, and it is not worthy of your time. In fact, John here calls them a liar. And he tells us that we know the truth. But when we know the truth, we also will know a lie. And so we will see then that these false teachers are antichrists. And that's where this progression starts with them. They, they find some fault with Jesus. They find some fault with His Word. And it begins to unravel for them. If they teach falsely, have nothing to do with them. As our modern expression goes, you do not need that kind of negativity in your life. You don't need it. So do away with it. The second step. First, the false teachers are antichrist, and then second, they eventually leave the Orthodox Church. False teachers eventually leave the Orthodox Church. We see this in verses 19 through 21. This is his pivotal argument. And the reason he's having this pivotal argument, the reason he's writing this letter is because people have left his church to go do their own thing. But what he understands is they have left because they could not endure the sound teaching and they are outside teaching falsely. They went out from us, verse 19, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not part of us. What was happening? People were leaving to do their own thing, to teach their own thing, and they wanted to be outside of the oversight of the church. They wanted to be outside of the church where their views would be examined by the elders of the church. Those who were gifted in teaching of the church would look at what they were doing and say, no, this is not right. 
You are teaching falsely. This is not what we have been taught by Christ. This is not what we have been taught by the apostles, Jesus' disciples. This is not what they have taught us. You can't teach that here. And so they would go out of the church, they would leave the church so that they would have access and availability to teach whatever kind of falsehood they wanted. This is still true in our own day. They went out because they did not want to have any oversight over what they were teaching. They're leaving. We see that happening, right? What happens if, if someone discovers some new way to do church? Some new way to, to practice this old-time religion that we have? This old, old story that goes back to Genesis. What do they do? Well, they go start their own church. They go start their own ministry. And very often they set it up where they, the false teacher, is the final authority. There is no other authority. There is no other way in which the, the truth or their truth can be expressed. They go and do their own thing. So what happened with Mormonism? Joseph Smith had a dream. He had a special revelation where a message came down to him on golden tablets and he had the ability to translate that and it gave a new revelation of Jesus Christ, a revelation about Jesus that happened after the New Testament. He had this new message. Well, he could not certainly get up in your average Baptist church, your average Methodist church, your average congregational church and share that message. It would not have flown. I hope that this morning you have all learned enough, at least in the last five years, but over your entire life, that if I stood up this morning and said, I have a new revelation from Jesus. Let's not regard the Bible. Let me tell you this new message that God has given me. That you would be troubled by it. Because you know better. So that's the reason often false teachers will go outside of the orthodox church. The orthodox meaning right thinking. The church that believes correctly. They will go outside of that and start their own church or own ministry so that they can draw people in without having someone who stands up to them and says, no, that's not right. No, that's, what, that's not what our church believes. That's not what our church has been taught. Friends, it should be easy for you if you have been in Christ for a long time to discern when someone is teaching something that is so blatantly false. If you had five preachers come through this pulpit, one right after the other, and one was teaching something that is not what we believe, it should raise an alarm in your mind. It should cause your ears to perk up. You should protest that. Because we know better. We have heard, many of you have heard from the time you were a small child about the things of God. Now maybe you haven't. 
That's why it's so important for the church to be careful about the type of teaching that it allows because some people do not have the knowledge to discern between right and wrong doctrine. That's why we have to have leaders in our church who will teach the things that are correct and will also point out the things that are wrong because it's only then that people are able to grow and know about the things that God has said. So they went out from us, he says, but they were not of us. Friends, this is so important for us to keep in mind. When I get a book, I will, or someone recommends a book to me, I will almost turn to the back, I'll always turn to the back cover. I want to see who published the book. If it was published by our Southern Baptist Convention, it removes some of my skepticism, but not that they're perfect. There are some other publishing companies that if it was them, I, I trust them and I, I could recommend the book. But friends, if it was published by some secular organization that cares nothing for Christ, that'll publish anything that they'll think will make them some money, and then I read that the person they studied at a school that I know teaches false doctrine, I become very skeptical of that. Why? Because I care about the things, especially that I would recommend. Now, I often read books and writings by people that I disagree with, even people that teach falsely, because I want to know their argument. They're not going to convince me of something different. I want to know the argument that they are making. But I would not take a new Christian and recommend some book by a false teacher for them to read on about how they would express their faith. We'll often find that those teachers have moved outside of the church. They don't want to operate within the framework of the, the Orthodox church because they want to teach their falsehoods without anyone trying to convince them differently. Friends, we need to be cautious. We need to be cautious in dealing with these people. It's why we need to understand that Jesus talks so much about giving his life for his church. He did not give his life for some parachurch ministry. He did not give his life for some organization out there. He did not give his life for some uh, evangelist or televangelist ministry that's operating outside of the church. When you investigate these things, when you're looking at new books and materials, ask, where do they go to church? Under whose preaching do they sit? Under whose teaching do they sit? False teachers will normally not operate within a church because they want the freedom to teach their falsehoods with as little resistance as possible. So they have taken the step of standing against Christ, They've moved themselves outside of the church. And then third, they, they deny the sufficiency of Scripture. They deny the sufficiency of Scripture. Friends, we believe as a church in writing that this book is the infallible and errant Word of God. That it is the final authority in our life. Now, maybe you don't believe that. That's your choice. But as a church, we have voted that that would be the case for our church. 
in writing. That, that this is where our authority lies. It doesn't lie in our government. It doesn't lie in any type of, of man-made instruments. Our authority lies here and here alone. Now that's a bold statement. And in our culture today, it's a statement that would certainly be ridiculed and mocked. But friends, it is a statement that a true teacher of God's Word can always support and a false teacher of God's Word will always deny. When you find someone who has problems with the Bible, they're a false teacher. When you find someone whose ministry doesn't revolve around the Bible, they're probably a false teacher. If you go to a church and it's not the Bible that people are hearing from the pulpit, you're probably sitting in the church at least led by a false teacher. And that's what false teachers do. They deny the sufficiency of Scripture. Look in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So remember, as John is writing, the Scriptures are still in development. So what have they heard from the beginning? The teachings of the apostles, the, teaching, the teachings of Jesus' disciples is exactly what they have heard from the beginning. And so he tells them, abide in that. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. You have heard, He says, from the beginning, the words of God from the apostles, and this is what you are to hold on to. The problem becomes for false teachers that that is not good enough for them. In fact, unfortunately, in many sermons I've heard, the Bible's not been sufficient for a lot of preachers who don't preach a false gospel, but they think they've got to come up with something new and trendy to hear. They've got to have a gimmick, they've got to have a, a hook or something that they get people in instead of simply telling them what the Bible has said. That, that they've got to have something that, that, that gets the people's uh, attention and draw them in. Friends, if you are a believer in Christ this morning, there is nothing that it should, it should not take anything extra for you to be interested in the Word of God and what God has said. The false teacher will bring in something else. They'll have that new revelation. I remember sitting in this church one time. It was not what I would call an orthodox church. And someone got up, it was an elder or whatever they called him, and he got up and he talked about this vision he had had of this rushing wind through, it was in Taylorsville, so maybe that explains it, which I can say that because I'm from Taylorsville if you're visiting with us, and you're from Taylorsville, glad that you came across the river, but this was in Taylorsville and this guy was a little off. And he got up and talked about this mighty rushing wind that was going to blow through Taylorsville and, and this is what it meant and it knocked down some trees or something and this is a sign. And, and of course this is after Hugo, so that's the only thing I know that's come through Taylorsville and knocked down a bunch of trees. But he, he had received this new, fresh revelation from the Lord. The Lord had spoken to him audibly and visually and now he had this revelation that he was going to share with the church. 
And I don't remember hearing anything about Scripture that day, not saying that they didn't talk about it, but I do remember about the guy getting up and talking about the wind rushing through. Friends, we don't need a new revelation from the Lord. I'll make a deal with you. If you can come to me, explain the Bible cover to cover, fully understand all of its meaning and implications for your life, I'll be glad to pray with you for the Lord to give you a fresh revelation because you've already got all the rest of it down pat. But considering that I don't know anyone who's done that, I'm not going to hold my breath to need to make that prayer to the Lord. Friends, the Scripture is sufficient. The Scripture is sufficient for you day in and day out. It's sufficient for you in the decision-making of your life. The Bible is enough, and you do not need more. Now, false teachers want more because they want to be able to talk about this or they want to be able to talk about that or they want to find the president hidden in some Bible code somewhere. They want to, I mean, you know, the number of the Hebrew letters of, of Obama and Trump put together add up to this and it's this many years of that. And it's foolishness, folks. It's foolishness. I mean, there's some teachers that the world ends every year and yet it's still going on. That every president's the Antichrist, and yet they're all still there. And as far as I know, except for, what, five of them, they're all dead. Friends, we get this view of ourselves that, that we're going to be here forever, or we play this important part in the end, and we don't even know when the end's going to come. Jesus doesn't know when the end is going to come, but there's pastors in Texas and California that can find that date and just spit it right out. And they miss it and they added up something wrong and their calculator battery must have died or whatever it is and they have to start over. Friends, the scripture is sufficient for the Christian but not for the false teacher. And so when you look, pick up a book by someone who's a false teacher. You might find scripture sprinkled in here or there but you'll find a lot of their new age theology and psychology and everything else sprinkled in a lot more and a lot more of their opinion than just that. And what they're wanting to do is for you to buy their books so they can live in a bigger house and drive a fancier car and have a faster jet. But they don't really care about the Scriptures. And they don't really believe that the Scriptures are sufficient. And so they begin to deny this. They begin to add that. They pull it together to be their own little thing. They go in as the Jehovah's Witnesses have done and they want to argue with you using their translation of the Bible. Why would they care which translation you use? Well, because they doctored it up a little bit so that it would fit their agenda. Not that they found better documents to create a better translation of the original copies that Paul had written and that John had written. Not that that happened, but that they changed some things to better fit their theology. So the third step is to deny the sufficiency of Scripture. And then the fourth step, false teachers abandon the practice of righteousness. False teachers abandon the practice of righteousness. Look in verse 28 and 29. And now little children abide in him 
Talking about Jesus so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Friends, if Jesus came back today, there would be a multitude of false teachers who would shrink back in shame because they know that they have proclaimed falsehood their entire life. They would know that His return was not for them a joyous blessing, but rather was a sign of their impending destruction. He says, but you, if you abide in Him, when He comes, you do not shrink back in shame, but rather you have confidence. Friends, I want to leave this pulpit every Sunday knowing that if it was my last sermon, I can be confident that I told you what the Bible said to the best of my ability. If you teach a Bible study or a kid's Sunday school class or whatever it is, you should want to leave every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time you teach confident that you told the people what the Lord said, that if He calls you home or He returns before you teach again, that you could be confident that you did what you could to teach them. Friends, you wonder why I preach longer than the 28 minutes, the 25, 20 minutes that some preachers preach? is because there is the possibility every week that you or I may not come back here again. For all kinds of reasons. And so I think it takes more than 20 minutes to try to tell you what the Bible said because you might not get it again. And honestly, you may not hear the Word of God proclaimed again before next Sunday. I hope you are. I hope you're listening to the radio. You're listening to podcasts. You're listening to CDs. You're coming to other Bible studies that you're hearing. But if not, I want to have confidence when you leave. But what happens, if you know that He is righteous, talking about Jesus, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born in Him. Born of Him. False teachers abandon the practice of righteousness. What does He say here? He says, you know that Jesus is righteous, and so a person born of Jesus will practice righteousness. If you're saved, your goal will be to live like Jesus. Now you may fail. In fact, you do fail. I fail at that achievement. But our our goal is to live righteously before God. To live righteous because He has saved us. To live rightly before God and before man. Well, false teachers ultimately when they come to this part, they're shrinking away and they do not care about righteousness. It never fails that when someone teaches false doctrine, when they are a false teacher, that over time they will begin to abandon righteous living. They will abandon living the way God has called them to live. They'll do it through their finances, they'll do it through their morality. They'll do it through the way that they treat those in their ministry, the way they treat their family. They will abandon righteousness because ultimately they do not care about righteous living. Friends, a person who would get on television, go before his quote-unquote church, and ask for millions of dollars for a private jet does not care about righteous living. 
living. He cares about one thing and one thing only, and that's himself. He doesn't care about the way his people live as long as they give. He doesn't care about how he lives as long as he can keep up enough appearances that they give. He's not concerned about the Scripture because the Scripture would say something very bad about a pastor having a multi-million dollar jet while people in his church and people in his community starve. The Bible would have something to say about that, but he doesn't care about the sufficiency of Scripture. He doesn't teach about Scripture. He teaches about having an abundance in this life and, and having money in this life and having wealth in this life and those things being joy and those things being a sign of your right living. And so you teach that long enough and then you can live however you want. You do not have to live righteously. If you live with great wealth and prosperity, well then apparently you're doing the right thing because that's what God wants for you. Friends, we are called as believers to seek after righteous living, to live right before the Lord, to live with integrity and live with morality and live in obedience to the commands that Christ has given by the power of Christ and through the power of Christ. But not so with the false teacher. They have abandoned the practice of righteous living. They get caught in scandals not paying their taxes. They get caught in affairs being unfaithful to their wife. They get caught cheating and stealing. They take from the poor and give to themselves unrighteous acts. They do not humble themselves as the Lord has humbled Himself and given Himself for us. They exalt themselves above everyone and they become infallible and they become inerrant in themselves. They do not speak of the Word of God. They do not preach the Word of God. And if they talk about the Bible at all, they take text out of their context and they lift them up as examples of why they are right and not as examples of what Christ has done. Friends, we cannot be that way. We know that He is righteous, He says in verse 29. We know that Christ is righteous, and so we may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. If you want to see if someone is a false teacher, see if they are practicing righteousness. But I'm sure that their falsehood will have become evident far before that, long before it gets to that point. Friends, false teaching is a problem. It's a problem in the community in which we live. It's a problem in our society. And friends, it may be a problem in your life. Not that you are the false teacher, but that you have allowed them to speak into your life and distort your view of Christ. I run into people all the time. I see people, even people I respect on social media, and they post these things that simply are not biblical. They have these ideas about life and the things they should have and the way that they should be able to live that simply are not in line with what Christ has said. 
They believe that there's other ways to get to God, that there's other ways to have a relationship with God other than through Christ. They believe that deep down people are essentially good, though we understand from the Scriptures that all of us deep down have a problem with sin. That there's none righteous, the Bible tells us. No, not one that we are in need of a Savior, and that Christ is the only way in which a person can be saved. Friends, we, we must have confidence in that and not shrink away from it. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if there are voices in your life of people who teach falsely, you need to silence those voices. You need to turn them off. Now maybe you're to the point in Christian maturity where you can look at other arguments and explore other points of view and it doesn't affect you. It, it simply reaffirms what you're doing. That's fine and great. But friends, if those voices are telling you how you should live your life, how you should function as a Christian, what you should believe about God, and, and you're allowing them to influence you and allowing them to tell you what to do. Friends, you need to turn them off. You need to throw the book away. You need to change the station. Friends, I would much rather, and this sounds terrible, but I would much rather you listen with me to some type of rock and roll on the radio than to listen to false teaching on a so-called Christian radio station. Friends, when I listen to rock and roll, I hear the cry of help from the world. People whose lives are scarred by drugs. People whose lives are messed up by broken relationships and, and lust of the flesh that they're trying to deal with. And I see all of those things and they're easy to recognize. But that preacher on the radio with the smooth voice that's comforting and calming and reassuring and teaches falsehood is so much more dangerous than the rock star who you know is lost and in need of salvation. Because when you hear reverend or doctor in front of their name, pastor in front of their name, it, it gives a sense of, of authority. It gives a sense that they should know what they're talking about. It, it gives a sense of leadership in a church, and yet those things do not mean nothing. They mean nothing. You can become an ordained minister on the internet with no authority behind it and all the ability to teach falsely. I want to encourage you this morning, examine those influences in your life, look at them, watch them, Guard yourself from them and those that are teaching falsehoods. Remove them from your life. Take them out of your home, out of your car, and away from influencing you. Go back to just reading the Bible. I'll give you recommendations for good books with sound doctrine. I can point you toward people to listen to on the radio because there's some great folks to listen to. But guard your heart from those that are teaching falsely because Christ has called us to live righteously 
and to take into our minds the things that he told and not the things that are false. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you love us and that you care for us and that you, you have given us truth. God, let us hold firm to that truth. God, instead of allowing falsehoods to come into our life, God, fill our heart with truth. Fill our mind with truth. Fill our, our heart and, and our soul. God, fill every fiber of our being with truth so that we hear from you and you alone. God, let your spirit speak to us through your word. God, let that be enough for us. God, guide our heart. God, use us. God, to be truth in a dark world. God, some here may be struggling with that. God, I just pray that you would speak to their heart. That, that they would have the courage to remove those false influences. God, and embrace the truth. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you that we can, God, just cry out to you this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. God, amen. I want to invite you to, to stand with me this morning. As we have this last song, I just want to encourage you to pray. Pray that, that God would put the right influences in your life, the right voices in your life, if there's some type of falsehood. If you, if you don't know Christ, understand this, that maybe you've been led astray by some type of false teaching. Maybe you've been involved with, with some group that called itself a church, but, but ultimately it wasn't. Maybe you've never followed Christ at all. Friends, I'd love to share with you this morning how you could, could leave the falsehood behind or how you could follow Him for the first time. Friends, the response today if you're a Christian is not, is not coming to the front and praying or even praying where you're at. It's, it's when you go to remove those voices that should not be there. To take action to ensuring that you're hearing what God has said and nothing else. Friends, would we respond to God's challenge as we sing this morning?